Hello, and welcome to The Weight of Freight. In this series, we explore the intricate yet powerful connections between the shipping and commodities markets. My name is Alex Yunovich, and I'm the Global Head of Freight at Argus. And I'm joined here today by James Guder, our Vice President for Crude and Freight Editor for EMEA, Will Collins. Our topic today revolves around the Russia-Ukraine conflict. To be specific, we want to explore a few what-if scenarios uh, for crude and shipping markets. In particular, what if there are sanctions on Russian crude? And as we all know, the situation is developing very quickly, and we're recording this on Monday, February the 28th in the morning. So things, of course, might change by the time this podcast is out. Also, I would like to quickly remind that subscribers of Argus Freight can use the limited edition link from the podcast webpage to not loan graphs on what we've been talking about here. So let's start with you, James. Could you give us a quick update on what is the reaction of the oil industry so far? Hi, Alex, and hi, Will. Good to be with you. It's obviously still a very deeply uncertain time. The initial reaction when the conflict began in earnest was, of course, that prices ran up to highs that we haven't seen in the past seven years or more. North Sea dated, which is the physical benchmark for Europe, against which Russian ex- Western exports are priced, has uh, you know dashed up to uh, well over $100 on Thursday, the 24th, up to $106, in fact. And then on Friday, the market digested the immediate impact of all this. Prices fell back somewhat, but still remain very elevated. There's been a risk premium built into the oil prices. These tensions have heightened over the past few weeks. And then when all of that spilled over into conflict, of course, prices shot up. Light sweet crude of a Brent type is very strong. And not just because of this, it's also the markets are emerging from COVID restrictions. It's a very high cost of certain inputs into refining, like natural gas and hydrogen that's made from it. And that means that certain types of crude are really in very high demand. So this conflict is kind of landing in the middle of already a very fraught market. But the specific impact on Russian crude is kind of interesting. I mean, of course, we are not seeing sanctions specifically linked to the energy industry at this moment, though a lot of Russian banks have been put under sanctions by Western powers. And that means that the ability to get letters of credit for certain crude exports has been severely curtailed. And because of the uncertainty, a lot of buyers are simply waiting to see whether it will be safe for them in terms of you know security of supply and, uh, and ease of flows of of money to get hold of those Russian crude. So what happened with Ural's prices? Now, Ural's, of course, the main Russian export grade for Europe, loading in the Baltic, but also into the Black Sea, which is part of uh, the potential theoretical conflict. Prices have just crashed away compared to an elevated benchmark, yes, but Ural's typically trades within a dollar or two of the benchmark. The difference is just one of quality, really. It's a main benchmark grade for Europe. Towards the end of last week, Euro's prices have dropped to well over $11 per barrel below the outright benchmark. And that is a reflection of the fact that European buyers simply are not touching the grade for the time being until things are clear. And particularly, as we've heard over the weekend, with the the, um, suspension of Russia from the SWIFT banking system, it's going to be more difficult rather than less to pay for some of those uh, cargoes, perhaps so. 
the crash off in prices was halted or at least minimized by the fact that certain buyers in the market were happy to pick up heavily discount euros crude. Of course, everybody knows the quality. And if the price is right and sanctions do not apply, then there is always going to be a market. So we saw a good number, I think 3 million barrels just in the past week of euros crude being bought by Indian refiners. And of course, India is a lot further away than Rotterdam. So there will be a freight element to that. But of course, the discount is such that any additional freight cost is more than compensated for an Indian refiner. So uh, I'll stop there so we can explore a bit more some of the other elements of this. But the point for the time being is that it's not clear how much is going to be exported, particularly from the Black Sea. And for the time being, there's a big reluctance amongst the usual buyers of Russian crude to take euros. Okay, thank you, James. And and we'll return to this in, in a minute. Well, obviously, shipping also reacted in quite, let's say, dramatic ways to the whole situation. And just looking at the graphs of the crude-specific freight that we have for euros here, that's already quite apparent. But could you just give us a little more information on how the market reacted late last week and how does it look like right now? Yeah, okay. Of course, I think it's common for freight to react particularly strongly to shifts on on the geopolitical side. And certainly that did happen, as you say, on Thursday and Friday. The first main routes to react were naturally those that involve loadings in Russia. So from the Baltic region or the Black Sea, where we saw very sharp increases in freight rates in the Baltic to UK continent route and also the Black Sea to Med routes that we cover are on the Aframax side at the highest level that we have ever seen them in our records that stretch back to 2005. In the case of Black Sea to Med, it's actually 30% higher than the previous. We saw fixtures at world scale 480 on Friday. There's multiple reasons for that. In the case of the Baltic, naturally there isn't a direct immediate security concern from the ship owner's perspective. So what you're looking at there is, I believe, really concerns about sanctions ship owners not wanting to necessarily commit vessels to load from Russian ports or to load Russian crude because of concern that tighter sanctions down the line could then make it more complicated for companies that have committed along those lines. In that region, you've also got the additional complication of the fact that ice class vessels are still required and the Russian national tanker owner Sovkomflot's fleet, well Sovkomflot has been touched or mentioned in US sanctions, to some extent restricting finances. Now, the, the sanctions were clear that this was not a ban on dealing with Sovkomflot, but the impression that I got on Friday was that following that, there were a number of companies that maybe weren't, you know, 100% clear on whether or not to book Sovkomflot vessels. And Sovkomflot's fleet is, is weighted towards Aframax. They have 37 Aframaxes, of which 17 are ice class. And that adds additional complication in the area of the Baltic UK mm. continent route where ice class Aframaxes are required. For the Black Sea, while there hasn't been any sort of specific security concern relating to the major loading ports for crude, uh, so Novorossiysk, or area around Novorossiysk at this point, you know, naturally that is closer to where the conflict has escalated. And I think that adds an additional element on top of the the concern about sanctions and and maybe that's the reason why you have seen rates jumping even higher as maybe even more ship owners are reticent to book ships to that area 
it hasn't just been Russian loadings that have increased. The increase has also affected other vessel classes and other routes. And it's natural that such a large increase on those two routes would drag the rest of the market up. And there's another factor in play here, which is James mentioned the significant jump in crude prices that has rolled on to a significant jump in bunker fuel prices, which of course is ship owners principal variable cost. And bunker prices have been increasing steadily since the beginning of this year or even since slightly earlier and really that hasn't been reflected in higher freight rates so what you've seen now is almost you know the lid has come off a little bit and ship owners are able to recover the recent increases that they have had in bunker fuel prices and you've seen it even having a a knock-on impact on vlcc rates Mm. which have not that much of a direct connection to recent developments because Russian crude it does get carried on VLCCs, but it's not by any means their main business. That they, they are more employed on the the Mid East Gulf to Asia, West Africa to Asia, those sort of mm-hmm. routes, which are, are somewhat separate. But really, as of this point on Monday morning, we have seen a, a jump in freight rates centered on the Black Sea, but also globally. Makes sense. Let's now touch on that what if scenario. Like we said, the situation is developing in very rapid and um, quite surprising ways sometimes. And things that we can discuss as what if can become what's next quite quickly. So with that in mind, James, if we talk about Russian crude being banned, yeah, uh, let's imagine there are sanctions out there. What is going to happen to the market? Which barrels from which producers are going to be replacing the euros, for instance, and what's going to be the impact? Well, very good questions. I mean, already we are starting to see, as you say, the what if turning into what's happening. And uh, we are seeing some of these Ural's cargoes being redirected from their traditional homes in the Med and in Northwest Europe to India. If that uh, flow to Asia becomes more regular, it's going to have real impact across the board, really. So some exports from Angola, for example, medium, heavy, crude, would traditionally be on that route, is going to find other homes. We might find Middle East exports, which of course usually find the highest prices and the bulk of the supply going to the Far East, might find itself competing with euros into that market. And therefore, we might see more, let's say, Saudi, Kuwaiti, Iraqi barrels finding their way to Europe. I mean, already there's the occasional supply going that direction. And we do have Poland, for example, has been taking quite a lot of Saudi supply over the past few years. So that kind of trade might escalate. Also, the U.S., of course, the U.S. is slowly increasing its production again after a big hit. And some of the U.S. production is of this quality. So Mars at the U.S. Gulf Coast, for example, might find itself able to make the arbitrage trip across into Europe to replace some of the lost Euro supply. We're already seeing the Mars differentials climbing above crude of higher quality in the U.S. Gulf Coast, suggesting that there is some competition for that supply already emerging as people kind of reorder some of their buying patterns. And of course, everything we're talking about means longer journeys. At the Mm -hmm. moment, or until now, the market tends to allocate to the nearest market where the best return can be found. But if for political reasons, all of these flows are changing, then the uh, amount, the number of ships required and the length of journeys that they're going to make is going to be different. And also, as Will was saying, the types of vessels. Euros tend not to be loaded on VLCCs, but could we see some co-loading with other North Sea crews to go into Asia, for example? 
like all of these things are possible. Yeah, but before we go into shipping part, uh, one question which I'm interested in around all this, is there enough spare volume to replace euros if they are banned from going to Europe, for example, uh, whether it would be from the Middle East or from the US, is there enough barrels to replace one for one? Well, good question. I mean, as we know, till now, there has been reasonably close coordination between the members of the OPEC plus group, which of course includes Russia. So they've been trying to pace the recovery and output from OPEC, which tends to be of this kind of, as a majority, this kind of medium or heavy sour quality, to pace that increase in output to match increasing demand as um, the world has emerged fitfully from COVID measures. And there has been this kind of steady increase of an extra 400,000 barrels a day per month from that total grouping. There is a certain amount of extra spare capacity in OPEC. It's principally with the Saudis. If the market dynamic was such that that was required, then I think that increase in output could be sped up, but it would be very much concentrated in the hands of a small number of players, particularly the Saudis and Abu Dhabi. A lot of the African producers, for example, who are in and OPEC are struggling to keep up with the existing extra targets that they've been given by the group. So the capacity would be there, but I think higher prices would be required to make it practical. Fair enough. Okay, well, and with everything that James said, again, we're talking the what-if scenario there. So let's say Euros is no longer welcome in Europe. We have all of those alternative flows emerging, both for the replacement of the Russian crude going into Europe, and potentially more of the Russian crude going to the markets which are not close for them. What is going to be the impact on the, the freight rates then and how long-lived it might be? Well, that's a very good question. And, uh, well, if we look solely on it on a, uh, a tonne-mile perspective and we assume all other factors stay the same just for the purposes of this answer, then naturally you would see crude coming from further afield to come into Europe and that would mean more ton miles to the dirty tanker market. A Baltic to Ara voyage takes around five days each way and a CPC to Med voyage depending on Turkish Straits delays and so on would take something from five to ten days each way. And this compares with a US Gulf to Ara voyage which is around 18 days each way or a Mideast Gulf to Med voyage which is sort of 15 to 16 days or maybe more if if you're talking about using the Sumed pipeline as well and there's an extra loading and unloading stage in there. So whichever way you split it, that is two to three times more duration in terms of the crude imports coming into Europe and therefore two to three times longer employment for crude oil tankers. If you look at Russian volumes being diverted away from Europe, as James mentioned, I think what you'd likely see in the first instance is that a, a lot of crude would be loaded onto ships and it would be interesting to see where that was diverted to. Uh, that some may even go pushed into floating storage and, and that would lead to a significant boom in rates most likely. We saw what happened when floating storage last boomed in 2020 and we had some you know historical highs on a lot of our dirty tanker rates at that point. If we assume that all of the crude that was, for example, shipped out of the Baltic was diverted to East Asia rather than Europe, then by my sort of back, very much back of the envelope calculation, I have to say, you could be looking at an additional 50 to 70 billion tonne miles a month off the back of that. Um, if we were looking at 
West Coast India, uh, just as an alternative, then you'd be looking at an additional 30 to 50 billion ton miles per month. Mm -hmm. And just to put that into context, where we are, according to Vortexa data, in January 2022, the ton mile demand globally for dirty tankers was around 55 billion ton miles per month, lower than it was in January 20, which was the, you know, the last comparable month prior to COVID. So were this to happen, and if Baltic and Euro's supply was to continue as normal and all of it was diverted to Asia, then you'd see that deficit to pre-COVID levels in the dirty tanker market wiped out pretty much straight away. Now, the dirty tanker fleet has grown since then. So, you know, this is not necessarily to say that there are a lot of other factors there, but clearly this would have a, a significant tightening impact on dirty tanker demand and were that to continue along those lines, then I would expect to see structurally for a longer period of time that dirty tanker rates would be supported at a higher level as a result. And obviously, and there's just a quick note here, is that higher freight always means it's higher weight in the overall crude price. And we've already seen this just in the last few days, the weight of freight or how much the percentage of the freight from the Aframax Black Sea MAD from the euros delivered in the MAD, it jumped from 1.6 to already 7.16% in terms of how much it takes up. So again, the impact on the arbitrage seems to uh, might potentially increase. Of course, it will depend on the oil volatility. Another quick question I want to ask is regarding the so-called shadow fleet, or uh, there are different names for it, all sinister, but we've seen the situations before where there were sanctions imposed on uh, specific routes. And as we've seen, there were still trades happening. There were vessels which were engaging in carrying those sanctioned barrels. Do we think that it's going to be any different if the Russian crude was to come under sanctions? Or is it a more transparent market, for instance? Is it harder to engage it? What do you think, Will? I think it's very difficult to say. I'm not sure that transparency necessarily plays a big part here. That you know, I think the reason for the... The, the shadow fleet, as, as we call it, when it comes to Iranian crude is simply that if, if a vessel has recent Iranian loadings, if it has been used recently to carry Iranian crude, then a lot of companies in countries and or regions that are complying with the sanctions will consider it too risky to be booked. And that is why you have these tankers that are used again and again for Iranian crude is simply because once they have carried Iranian crude, they're unable to trade in the in the wider fleet at the the standard spot market level. Presumably in a situation where Euros crude was sanctioned, then something similar along those lines would have to develop. Exactly what shape that would take is really very difficult to say at this point. And whether or not it was transparent or whether there was sort of a, a bit more what you call maybe subterfuge about it in the way that is suspected at times with regards to the Iranian crude is really impossible to say at this point. Understood, guys. And I think we need to round up here. So if you could just sum up what you think will actually happen. Yeah, what's your best prognosis? Because we're talking a big what-if scenario. But let's say, what do you think is the realistic way the event's going to go in the next week or like generally? Maybe it's not the Russian crude sanction. Maybe there's some other scenario. What do you think is going to happen? If I can just say a few words on crude, I mean, whether or not sanctions are imposed, and I think it's unlikely in the short term because the Western powers are clearly trying to hold something back that they can impose later if they feel that the existing set of sanctions are not working. But whether or not 
know, gas and oil supplies into Europe are put under sanction. We are already seeing a reluctance for those that have optionality to deal with Russian crude exports. On the gas side, of course, I mean, a lot of European countries are so hooked into the Russian gas supply. I mean, it's more than half, you know, two thirds of German gas supply as just one example. The idea of just switching that off and replacing it overnight with LNG is simply not realistic. But for the time being, in the crude market, there are sufficient supplies of similar types of crude available. And the market can currently cope with this level of disruption and reallocate the Russian supply to people that are able to or keen to buy it. But uh, so I think it's, it's unlikely we'll see sanctions in the short term, but already this unwillingness of certainly European buyers to take Russian crude mm. cargoes is going to have a, a lasting impact. Yeah, so even without the official sanctions, still the impact is uh, in a way, in a way similar, uh, maybe even if it's not that dramatic. Will, what do you think was going to be the course of the events? Well, I mean, I've, I've checked all the oracles and obviously it's very, very difficult to say. At, at this point, if I had to put a, a call on it, I would say that the situation with regards to sanctions and the potential legal implications of those and so on is likely to become clearer over the coming days. I think some of the extremely high bookings that you saw on Friday could well have been a reaction simply to uncertainty and companies really being faced with something that they haven't faced before or not for a long time and factoring in that uncertainty risk into the price of freight rates. So, so uh, I think after the spike, you probably will see rates at some point coming down to what you'd call a more normal level. As James says, though, whether or not there are sort of specific sanctions against Russian crude, there does appear likely to be a disruption to trade flows. And a disruption to trade flows is likely to mean more ton miles for the dirty tanker market generally. So I would expect that when rates do come down to a more normal level, in inverted commas, that level could well be higher than what we have seen this year so far prior to the, the escalation of the conflict. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, guys. Obviously, we'll keep the tabs on what's uh, happening next. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to find out more about the freight prices and news, please refer to the Argus Freight. We'll leave the link in the description. And same for the crude market. If you'd like more information on that, please go to the Argus Crude Service. Again, the link is going to be on the webpage of the podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.